Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Now, last week, guys, we left off, if you weren't here, we left off on probably one of the saddest verses in all the Bible. It's kind of where we ended up, and so I wanted to go back and, and really talk about it a little bit. You go, well, what happened? Well, if you recall, Cain, right, our boy Cain is in a dialogue with God, and here's what blows my mind. Cain is talking to Elohim. He's talking to God, and he still doesn't have that, that heart of transformation. He still doesn't believe in who God is. He, he knows God. He knows about God. He's talked to God. And still, there's going to be this rebellion in his heart. So Cain, if you will, he's in a dialogue with God. God called him out, if you will. Remember, on the worship. God called him out on his worship. He came with a sacrifice that was not right, was not pleasing. His motives were wrong. Okay? He could be equivalent to the very thing that we do at times, guys, where we lift up our hands and we're singing, but our hearts are somewhere else. And God's like, Cain, come on, bud. Come on, hey, he's in this dialogue. He calls him out in worship. How does Cain react? Cain reacts in anger. He's mad. He's angry. And and we can relate to that at times. We know exactly what happens because when God calls us out in our sin, sometimes we want to justify our sin through anger. Wait, God, wait a minute. You don't understand my life. But how Cain should have reacted is the way we need to react in repentance, in brokenness, in humility. When God calls and says, hey, you're, what you're doing is wrong, that's not pleasing to me. That's going to separate you from me. We should be broken and on our face going, God, you're right. I'm sorry. Cain reacted how, church? He reacted in anger. And, and in his anger, guys, it burned so hot that he was like probably so angry at God. I can't do nothing. God, God is Elohim. He is all powerful. So what did he do? He began to take him, take it out on his creation, right? You go, what? Well, he turned on, he turned on his brother Abel. He rose up one day and killed Abel, his brother. You see, jealousy and anger bred that murder in Cain's heart. We talked about that. And so what happens? There's Cain dead, probably buried somewhere. God comes back to Cain, says, Cain, where's your brother? And what do we know? We know that Cain just flat out lies. We say, hey, Cain, where's your brother? I don't know. I don't know. He flat out lies to God. He flat out lies. I don't know. And then what does he say? Am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to keep tabs on my brother? Am I supposed to help my brothers? And the answer is yes. Guys, for us, it's a resounding yes. As believers in the word, we need to be able to lift up our brother. We need to be able to swallow our pride and say, this is my bro. He's hurting. He's broken. He's going through some tough times. I'm going to lift him up. I'm going to lift him up. Guys, a text, a phone call. A simple, I'm praying for you. A simple, amen, bro, you got this. That's what we got to do. And we need to do more of it. Because there's a lot of hurting people out there. And so Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are, Cain. But you're missing it. And what what does God say to Cain? Cain, what did you do? What did you do? What have you done? Cain, seriously, what have you done? And, And Cain is just, he's just wicked. The Bible tells us his heart is wicked. And then what we learn, guys, is that Lord then curses Cain. And up until now, he's only cursed what? He's only cursed the serpent so far, right? The serpent, you are cursed on your belly. That's how you're going to live the rest of your life. Now he curses Cain. And God curses the first human. Note with me what he said, guys, verse 11. So now Cain 
you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Can you kill him? I'll stop right there for just a moment. God comes to God comes to Cain and he says, Cain, hey man, what did you do? What did you do? I mean, that should have been another point number two. Repentance right here. Confession. I killed him. I was angry, God. I don't know. I don't know where my brother is. Am I my brother's keeper? God knows. God knows. God knows. And so the point is, guys, is that sometimes in my heart, when I try to justify my sin, God's going, really, Ben? I know what you, I know the motives of your heart, bro. I know the motives of your heart. I know where you sit. Okay, Lord, I need to be clean. I need to be honest with you. Because he tells him right here, your brother's blood is basically from your, brother, from your hand. And, and you'll till the ground, Cain, until it'll no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive in a vagabond, you will be on the earth. Remember, that means a wanderer. He's going to be wandering. He's not going to have peace. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. My punishment. God, no, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. What do you mean? What do you mean I'm going to be, I'm going to be a vagabond? What do you mean I'm going to be a wanderer? What do you mean I'm not going to have a home? What are you talking about? No, that's too much for me. Dude, 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 listen. You killed your brother. You actually performed the very first murder in all of human history. And you're thinking that the punishment that God has put down on you, it's too much. My punishment is greater than I can bear. And he says in verse 14, Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Your attention, please, before we move on, what is Cain worried about? Cain's worried about somebody killing him. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This doesn't make sense. Wait a minute. Cain, you're the one who rose up in anger. You're the, why are you tripping about Anybody, if they find me, they're going to kill me. Why? Why are you tripping about that, Cain? Why are you worried about this? And of course, the Lord with grace says, hey, listen, if anybody finds you, listen, I'm going to put a mark for you, lest anyone finding you will kill you. So everybody will know that God has put this mark on Cain, and Cain will be spared being murdered. Everybody got that? That's God's grace. That's not us, is it? That's not us, because if somebody kills somebody, we're like, you killed your brother? Listen, somebody needs to kill you. And if we were God, what would we do, church? You killed Abel, let let me see how you feel. You're done, let's start over. God's not like that, okay? So if if God's sparing Cain for just a moment, Cain, we're going to give you an opportunity, why? Because as long as Cain is still breathing, there's hope for him to repent and come back to the Lord. Can I get an amen? But the thing about it is that's God's grace. Yet we take God and we'll put him up here and we'll go, okay, God, here's my life. And, and we watch and we think he's got this, this billy club ready to hit us when we get out of line. And yet, that's not who God is. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He's loving. He opens his arms wide and says, please come home. You're my children. I love you. You're my sons. You're my daughters. Why are we doing this? There's people in our world, guys, right outside those doors that are struggling and they're walked away from God and they're just like Cain. But as long as they're breathing, 
Come on. There's hope. As long as they're breathing, God can still do a work. God can still do a work. Now, here's what I want you to remember, guys. Earlier in the chapter, okay, the Lord gave Cain a beautiful opportunity to get things right with him. Okay? He did. You go, what do you mean? Look at verse 7 with me. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, but notice what he says. He says, you will be accepted if you do what's right, Cain. But if you refuse to do what's right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it, Cain, and be its master. See, God didn't go, Cain, let's go back just a little bit, bro. Hey, when you brought that sacrifice, that's wrong. Knock it off. He goes, no, 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 listen. Listen, this isn't right. But if you do right, you'll be accepted. I'll accept you. We'll have communion. You'll understand. He says, you got this? And I see God's grace and God's mercy. And he's going to give him an opportunity to get things right. But he also says, now listen, if you don't, watch out. Because sin is crouching. And it gives, and it gives that picture of this, this, this beast ready to jump on and destroy See, guys, here's the thing. I want you to think about sin for just a moment. We think it's some some little pet, little something we like to do and we get our jollies, that's sin, amen. It is ready to destroy you. It wants to take you. It wants to destroy you. It wants to make you nothing. Sin is evil. It is wicked. And we cannot, we cannot play with it like we have some sort of pet going, oh, it's my pet sin. It won't hurt me. It's not going to grow up. It wants to grow up. And he wants to pounce on you. That's what he's saying. He's saying, but you must subdue it. You must master it. Of course, Cain. Of course, Cain, our buddy Cain, he didn't master his sin. He allowed sin to master him. And then we come to verse 16. Now, if you don't mind, if you don't mind, I want to take a few moments this morning. I'd like to camp out here, okay? Because last week we talked about it, but I want to camp out here in verse 16 for just a moment. Notice with me. Genesis chapter 4, verse 16 says, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Okay, verse 16. Now, if you're a note taker, I want you to feel the weight, guys. I want you to feel the weight of what's going on here, what's happening here, okay? Verse 16 says, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. But we need to understand that first and foremost, guys, Cain... He left his family. He left his family. He left family. It's really hard to leave something that you know. People that you love. People that you are with. You go, well, Ben, I thought Cain was a wicked man. But, but, but he, he knows what family is like. I mean, it's a fit of rage and jealousy that he killed his brother, but he left his family. He left his home. He left mom and dad. But guys, right here, the Bible says that Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Do you guys see that? He went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, I want to unpack this verse for just a little bit, okay? I want to unpack this. Number one, guys, Cain went out from the presence of God. First and foremost, here's what we need to understand it means. It means that the, it just simply means that the conversation was over with, okay? Because we know that God is omnipresent, Okay, he left the presence of the Lord. It's the, the first and foremost is like conversation is done. Here goes Cain. This is all God's going to say to him. I gave you an opportunity to repent. I asked you where you're. I've been I've been gracious and compassionate. As a matter of fact, I put a mark on you. And the last thing we see is 
is Cain leaving the presence of God. But here's what we say. Here's what we want to know. I want you to note that God never left Cain. God never left Cain. Cain left God's presence. And here's what I love. I love the fact that God was still with Cain throughout his life. God was still there. God was with him. You go, what do you mean? Well, remember remember that promise. He would be the, the sole protector, right? The avenger, if you will, if someone tried to murder Cain. So the omnipresent God was still with Cain. The problem is, is that Cain left the presence of God. And I want you to put yourself for just a moment, guys, so we can feel the weight of this. Put yourself in Cain's sandals for just a moment. Maybe he wasn't wearing sandals. It was early on in Genesis. But, but feel the weight of that. There are so many people today that we see walk the same pattern as Cain. They come thinking, this is the God that I created. This is the God that I created. It's not the God of the Bible. It's the God that I, this is me and God. We, we got, we got something going on straight here. Me and God. Okay. And so what happens is when it doesn't pan out the way we think, we get angry at God. Come on now. Can we get angry at God? And what do we do? We walk away from God. We leave his presence. God's like, I never left you. I never left you. I've been trying to get your attention the whole time. You weren't serving me. You weren't serving the God of the Scriptures. You made up a God. You made up a God. And now that you're angry, you're blaming me. And now you're blaming the church. And you're blaming other Christians. And you've walked out of my presence. And the same pattern that people follow, guys. The same pattern. But here's what I love about God. Here's the hope. He doesn't just let us walk away. He's omnipresent. He's still there guarding us and guiding us. How many of you could go back in your life and go, man, I remember when I wasn't walking with God and he saved me. There was things that were miraculous. God showed up in a way and I wasn't even following him. And he, oh my goodness, he got me out of this and the car and, and a wreck. And God's always been there. He's always been there. I love the fact, guys, that God is still with Cain. Of course, the scripture reference to being the sole protector and avenger is found in verse 15 of chapter 4. The Lord replied, no, for I will give you, I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you, Cain. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. God's with him. God's with him. Now, I want to chat for just a moment, okay? If you're a highlighter or an underliner, Lamech is going to take this promise from God and he's going to twist it for his benefit. We're going to see in verse 24 later on. Lamech. Okay? And we'll take, a, we'll take a look at that, but let's talk about who do you think would want to rise up and kill Cain? Isn't that what he's worried about, right? Cain's worried about being killed. God, my punishment, that's too much, Lord, that's too much. Oh, Lord, what am I going to do? And God's like, calm down, nobody's going to kill you. And I'm thinking, who's Cain worried about? Who's Cain worried about? Because if we were to just simply read it in the narrative, right now we have Adam and Eve, we have Cain, and he killed your brother Abel. Who else is on the planet? Who would he be worried, right? If, if there was just like us three, I'd like mom and dad. Well, mom, dad's getting older. I think I can take him. So I'm not worried. You know, he's worried about something. He's worried about something. Okay, so let's chat for just a moment, okay? Uh, 
here's what I want you to see. I want you to go over real quick to the next chapter, chapter 5, verse 4. You guys see it? Chapter 5, verse 4. I want you to highlight it. I want you to see something. It says this, chapter 5, verse 4. After he begot Seth, in the days of Adam were 800 years, and he had sons and daughters. Everybody see that? He had sons and daughters. At this point in time, guys, Adam was 130 years old. Whenever he's talking about Adam is 130 years old, it's safe to say that the world was populated with, was, was, wasn't just populated with Adam and Eve. They did exactly over 130 years. How many people do you think were populating the earth? I mean, that's a lot of people. Nine months pregnancy. I mean, have the baby, couple months rest, another, I mean, and then these, be, I mean, it's just, it, it, it's just, you can see that. Okay? So when Seth was born, Adam was 130 years old. Now, here's what I found. I found this interesting. Check it out. Jewish tradition holds that Adam and Eve actually, and this is just tradition, okay, actually had 33 sons and 23 daughters. This is not biblical, of course. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that. But it kind of aligns with the idea that Adam and Eve are probably extremely fruitful and multiplied greatly as God had commanded them. The genetics at this point, guys, were really quite pure as well as the environment. You go, so what was it? Well, here's the question. Here's what you want to write down in your Bible somewhere. Who would want to kill Cain? Why is he tripping? Well, maybe, like we don't know, okay, but maybe it was a brother who was close in age with Abel around that time. He saw his brother get killed. Dad? Yes, son? What happened to Abel? Your brother Cain. Excuse me? You wait till I get a few more years older, I'm going to get Cain. You know, he's worried about something. He's worried about something, right? So we know that the earth is populated, right? Everybody get that. We know that it's populated. Or check this out. Although it may be somebody to avenge his brother's death, we know that sin has entered the world. And as sin began to enter the world, people can get angry and do the same as Cain. So maybe Cain says, okay, maybe it wasn't part of my family. It might be my extended family, but I might be out doing something and they get angry at me the same way I got angry at God and rise up out of jealousy and anger and kill me. God, you can, that's my punishment. I mean, he's thinking all of this as he's dialoguing with God. He's thinking about all this. I'm going, wow. So what's going on? Well, here's what we got to grasp, guys. Here's the point I want to make. Ready? Sin fractures everything. And we, I mean, I just, I want you to feel, I mean, just, wow. Sin fractures everything. Guys, when sin entered the world, it broke everything and everyone. And it still does today. It still does today. Our problem, our problem in America, our problem in the world is that we feel like a good lifestyle is a, is a, is a good substitute for the sin in our life. Well, I've got a good life, I've got a good job, I make good money, and we forget that sin still fractured everything. It did. It did. Guys, how many, how many people... Who is the Lord bringing to your mind right now that you're going, oh my goodness, I've been praying for them and they are broken and they're messed up and they're scraping from day to day and they have no relationship with God 
and sin has just destroyed them. How many of us can think of somebody who was on top, somebody who was, who was just walking with God at one time, and now they're at the bottom? That's what sin wants to do. And that's what he's saying for you and I. Sin wants to do that for you and I. He wants to, it wants to fracture. Listen, in my relationship with Nathalie, it wants, sin wants to fracture that. Sin wants to get in there and he wants to destroy this relationship. Sin wants to do that for your marriage. It wants to get in. It wants to twist it. It wants to distort it. Sin wants to break us. Sin wants us to lie and cheat and steal. And, 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 it, and it just destroyed everything. We see it's so important. And you go, Ben, why are you so adamant about sin? Because I think we're living in a time, guys, in the world where we take sin and, and everybody's just like, oh yeah, we're all sinners. We're just sinners. We're sin-. And we don't take it seriously in our lives. And we don't see how it's destroying our relationship with each other and with God. And we just kind of trying to deal with it and it's okay. And the Bible tells me that sin is fun for a season. So there's some sins in my life that I'm like, woohoo, I get to have fun. And it's not, and it, what, it want, what does it want to do? It wants to destroy us. destroys me from the inside out. It destroys me from the inside out. And sin, guys, sin is in the world and it fractured everyone. And, and I mean, th- listen, it has the same effect on people that it did on Cain. You go, how so? Well, think about what Jesus said to us. Think about what he said in Matthew chapter 5, 21 and 22. Jesus said, you have heard and the, in, that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder but whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. I mean, that's a good, a good part, right? Amen. I, I don't want, I don't want Scott to come and murder me. That's a, don't murder. That's a good, that's a good guide. That's a, amen. But Jesus said, He said, but I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Guys, it's the same thing. Jesus said, listen, listen. I don't want Scott to murder me, but if I'm angry with Scott without a cause, it's the same as I'm murdering my brother. Here's the point. I can murder in my heart way before I murder with my hands. Can I get an amen? You know what I'm talking about? We do this. We can get so angry. We can get so angry. We can get so angry. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said we got to watch our hearts because that's where it starts. Here's what starts in my heart. It starts off with a little bud, just a little bud, a little bud. And I watch it grow, and I watch it grow, and I watch it grow. And I may never murder you physically, but I can murder you I can murder you with what I say about you, how I gossip about you. I can murder you everything by the anger I have towards you by the way I treat you. Christians are supposed to be different. We're not supposed to. We're supposed to just say, God, you take control of this. I'm angry right now. That person made me angry, but I don't want to sin in my anger. Married couples, listen to me. Married couples, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't let the sun go down if you're angry. Make sure you talk about it because, again, that's just going to bring a root. Oh, I can't believe I'm, I'm going to go, go to bed mad. She's mad. I'm mad. Just let me run. Don't, don't let the sun go down without, without getting it out. 
Men, women, be the bigger person and come and reconcile the relationship. I'm sorry, sweetie. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. I wasn't listening. I'm sorry. I didn't see it that way. Please forgive me. I didn't think about it that way. Help me understand. I'm sorry. Please forgive me for hurting your feelings. Let's go to bed. Yeah, I love you. I love you too. Remember, the Bible even says, guys, for us that, that, that sin fractured creation. Creation. Think about this. Think about all the earthquakes and tornadoes and all the stuff that's going on. Okay? The hurricane's coming in. Guys, what's happening is Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 8, verse 22. He says, For we know that creation has been groaning as the pains of childbirth up into this present time. So he's saying, listen, you're going to start seeing them more frequent, more frequent, more frequent, just like child, like, just like, just like the labor pains. They're going to come. They'll be like, oh, 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 what was that? What was that? Oh. And then you'll go another day. Oh, whoa, 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 until it's time. And then you'll see as you get closer to the baby coming out, the pains will come quicker, quicker. And that's, that's how, that's how creation. Can you guys see it? Can you see it? it? It would be, it would be like an earthquake and then we wouldn't see it for a long, now, I mean, it's like every, every day we probably have an earthquake. I mean, there's so many earthquakes, guys, the news doesn't even report it anymore. Unless they're significant, what? Death. But that's what he's saying. Sin fractured. It fractured the earth. So what do we see, guys? What do we learn? First and foremost, we see that that Cain left the presence of the Lord. Cain left God. Number two, guys, as part of that, Cain left the presence of the Lord. So we we also learn that that Cain went to dwell in the land of Nod. Okay? Nod. Nod means wandering. And so I wonder, why did he leave God's presence? Why did he leave? Well, Ben, he was cursed. Well, ben, what, I, mean, I mean, think about it, guys. Why did he leave God's presence, right? And, and, and why would Cain want to do life without the presence of God in him? Why would he? Okay, well, Lord, I guess the conversation's over. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. I'm, you stay in Eden, Lord. You stay in Eden. I mean, Adam and Eve and all them are there. I'm going to go over to Nod. I'm going to go over and, 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 and live in Nod. And I'm thinking, why did, why did he do that, guys? Why did he do that? So like Cain, I started to think about this and I started to think, it breaks my heart, like Cain, that so many people are living a life without God. They're living a life without God. And so I have to ask the question, what does it mean to live a life without God? What does it mean to be out of God's presence? And so I thought, who better to answer this than the wisest person in the world, right? Apart from Jesus, Solomon. And so Solomon says, let me, let me just kind of tell you what it means, right? Let me just kind of give you the answer. Now, you can turn there, or you can just listen. I'm going over to Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Ecclesiastes chapter 6. And I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. But Solomon, the wisest man in the world, he's going to teach us that apart from God, that a life apart from God, guys, you can't find any satisfaction in. That there, you, you, you will not be satisfied in that life. In other words, he says there's going to be an emptiness Without God. And I'm thinking, Cain, why do you want to leave? 
your life is going to be empty. There will be no satisfaction. And Solomon actually writes to you and I about this. Let me read it, guys. Solomon, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6, and then I'll make some comments, and we'll finish this. Only 12 verses. Uh, Solomon writes, he says, and now again, whenever you talk to Solomon, man, Solomon is like major bummer dude. Okay, it's like he is not a, he is not an optimist at all. But, but listen up. Let's see if we can get the application. Let's see if we can apply it. Here's what he says, okay? He says, there's another serious tragedy I have seen under the sun, and it weighs heavily on humanity. Okay, what's up, Solomon? God gives some people great wealth and honor and everything they could ever want. But then he doesn't give them a chance to enjoy these things. They die. And someone else, even a stranger, ends up enjoying their wealth. This is meaningless and a sickening tragedy. A man might have a hundred children and live to be very old, but if he finds no satisfaction in life and doesn't even get a decent burial, it would have been better for him to have been born dead. His birth would have been meaningless, and he would have ended in darkness. He would even have had a name, and he would never seen the sun or known of its existence. Yet he would have had more peace than in growing up to be an unhappy man. He might live a thousand years twice over, but not find contentment. And since he must die like everyone else, well, Solomon says, what's the use? What's the use? So first and foremost, guys, Solomon is going to give us five escape routes in this passage. You go, what do you mean? First and foremost, he says, okay, maybe you're thinking riches and wealth is going to do it. Maybe you're thinking riches and wealth. You might say, hey, I'm like Cain. I'm going to walk away from God. And you think riches and wealth is going to do it. Here's what Solomon said. Solomon said in verses 1 and 2, he says, man, you're going to get great wealth. And here's the problem. You're going to die and somebody else is going to enjoy it. You can't find satisfaction in riches or wealth. That's what he's telling us. Apart from God, you can't do it. You go, well, Ben, hold up, time out. There's a lot of people who I know are rich and they're just definitely enjoying their wealth. Do you really know that? Because a lot of people who have money worry more than you do about that money. Are they going to keep it? How are they going to... How are they going to keep, what is this, I mean, what am I going to do? Who's after my money? Who's after my money? If that was the case, I mean, even today, even today we saw that the lottery in Texas is like 365 million. I mean, we're just like, the person who wins that is probably not going to be very happy because people will come out of the woodwork. Hey, 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 and, and they've got to worry about what am I going to do with this? And we've seen... We've seen divorces. That's what he says. He says, you go, well, Ben, what else does Solomon say? Well, he says, well, maybe you think, man, I'll just have children. Uh, my family. I'll have a family. And he says, now, listen, here's the thing. You could have a bunch of children and you have a great family, but that won't satisfy you if there's no satisfaction in life. Children are not going to bring satisfaction if you're not satisfied with God already. They're actually going to be more of a burden. You and I as believers, now I'm going to give you my opinion, but you and I as believers, we're satisfied in Jesus, and then when we have little ones, oh, it just makes it, it just, it's beautiful. 
You know, and, 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 and you go, man, that, I'm just so happy. I'm so happy. But there's a lot of people, guys, who don't know Jesus, and they have kids, and they don't have the same response as you. Now, they love their kids. I'm not saying they don't love their kids, but what I'm saying is that they need to find satisfaction in Jesus. And that's what Solomon says. Solomon says, listen, you're not going to find satisfaction in having a bunch of children. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, how many, however many they may be, but his soul is not satisfied with the good things and he doesn't have a proper burial, what Solomon says, this is vanity. This is where useless. I know, Pastor, I got it. A long life, a long life. And Solomon says, man, you could live, what, 2,000 years and you still won't be satisfied. That's what Solomon says. Right? Now, let me give you the other two escape routes. Verse 7, all people spend their lives scratching for food, but they've never seemed to have enough. So are wise people really better off than fools? Do poor people gain anything from being wise and knowing how to act in front of others? Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Thank you, Solomon. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. You know what he's saying, number four? He says, sometimes we try to find satisfaction in our work. In our work. There's great satisfaction in what you do. But apart from Jesus, if you're trying to find satisfaction in that, apart from Jesus, right? Here's the thing. You've left the presence of God and you're going, okay, my work is going to fulfill me. Solomon just said, no. It's not. Solomon said, no, it's not. You're not going to find that ultimate, right? Our labors in this life can't satisfy our mouths, much less our souls. He goes on to say, all man's labors is for his mouth, and yet his appetite is not satisfied. You know what else? Well, let's finish up. Here it says, everything has been already decided. It was, long, it was known long ago what each person should be. So there was no use arguing about God, about your destiny. The more words you speak, the less they mean. So what are they good for? Right? So what good are they? In the few days of our meaningless lives, who knows how our days can be best spent? Our lives are like a shadow. Who can tell what will happen on the earth after we are gone? Now remember, Solomon is talking about a life that is apart from God, about the presence of the Lord, okay? And, and he's saying, this is, he goes, okay, so you, you've got money and, and you've got family and you want to live long. And he says, and your work. And he says, and not only this, last but not least, he says, your words and wisdom... They can't satisfy a life without God. Right? Notice what he's saying. He's saying that words and philosophy and wisdom and reflection often fail to satisfy us. They fail to bring meaning. In fact, words actually increase our emptiness. You see, God has made us for himself and our hearts will be restless unless we rest in him. Unless we rest in him. And so I'm going, I'm going, Cain, why would you want to leave the presence of God? Why would you want to live in the land of Nod? Why, dude? But, but we do it at times too. We leave God's presence. We leave God's presence. Listen, without God in our lives, guys, we will wander in our hearts even while staying still. Let me give you a third one. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. It means he left, he left the place of worship. He severed his walk with God, and in the end, 
he ended up worse than the beginning. Think about this, guys. When he left the presence of God, he was worldly. He forsook God's ordinances, and he cast off all fear of the Lord. He left the presence of God. Here's my point, okay? Here's what I want to really grasp. I want you to grasp. The presence of the Lord should be so so special to us. We never want to be outside that or even think about it. The presence of the Lord. God's presence in my life. You know, Jesus talked about hell far more than he talked about heaven. And the problem, here's the problem with hell. Everyone who's in Hades or in hell right now is not in the presence of God. There's no hope to be in the presence of God. And all the times we think, well, hell's going to be, hell's going to be, uh, you know, fire and brimstone and the worms will never die and it's going to be horrible and we're going to be tormented in these flames. But the biggest thing I think is, guys, we're never going to be in the presence of Almighty God. And even tonight, you can feel His presence here. And His presence brings hope. And His presence brings a place where you and I, even wherever you are tonight, you can repent and you can go, God, please forgive me. You can ask Him to come in and break our hearts of stone because His presence are here. But once we die, and we die in our sins, as He told as he told the Jewish people in John, he said, you're going to die in your sins and you're going to be separated because sin separates us from God. That's why the cross is so important that Jesus took our sins upon him so he can reconcile us back to him and therefore bring us a ministry of reconciliation. He reconciled us back to him. Hey, come on back. Come on back. Guys, think about this. Cain went out from the presence, forsook God's ordinances, the place of worship. And he cast off all fear of the Lord. All fear of the Lord. I'm reading a book in my office. I won't, I won't spoil it for you, but one of the things he says is that fear, okay, holy fear is, is the place in our lives for where we don't want to be without God's presence. That's holy fear. It's not being afraid. It's not being afraid of God. But he writes in there and he says, man, we need to have the fear of God. We need to be in a place where we're going, listen, I'm going to obey him because I don't even want to be away from him for any minute of time. I don't want to make a choice over here, sister, that's going to bring me out of God's presence. I don't want to do that because I fear him and I love him. And so that's the thing that Cain, I believe, is missing. So what happens? He goes to Nod. What does Nod mean, guys? Wandering. Good. Now, in our text, we're going to see a little bit of genealogy, and then we're going to be introduced to Seth. So we're going to see the tale of two cultures. We're going to see an ungodly culture that Cain's going to bring, and then we'll see a godly culture for a couple of verses that Seth is going to bring. Look at verse 17, okay, as we move on. Okay, verse 17. Now, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Okay, so what's the first thing we notice? Pastor, where did Cain get a wife? Well, we established that he was already, Adam was already 130. He probably married his sister or a niece or somebody. We know that the earth was populated. It's not that hard to deduct, oh, Cain had a wife. 
Everybody goes, well, where did Cain get his wife? It was probably, again, remember, the genetic pool wasn't contaminated at this point. But we know that he had a wife. You go, what's the second thing we notice? Well, notice with me. Notice with me a little bit of rebellion. Okay? A little bit of rebellion. You go, why? Because Cain would continue in his rebellion. You said, how? Ben, how? Well, remember what God said. God says, you're going to be a fugitive. You're going to be a vagabond. You're going to wander the earth. What does Cain do? Cain says, no, no, I'm not. I'm going to go build a city. He built a city, and he named it after his son. You know, you're going, oh, wow. Wow. Huh. Cain says, nope, not going to do that, Lord. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to build this city. And so we saw that. We saw that. You go, what did he have? Well, he had a son. What is his name? His name means initiation. And and again, and there's several ones that dedicated initiation, but this suggests a new beginning, but it was the beginning without God. So what does Cain do? Cain goes, now listen, God, you have your prescribed way of worship. I get that. But I'm going to go over here. And I'm really not digging, wandering. I'm going to build the city. And you know what I'm going to call this city? I'm going to call it Enoch. It's a new beginning, but it's a beginning without God. It's a beginning without God. You're like, wow. So, verse 18. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begot Mahiluel, and Mahiluel begot Meshuel, and Meshuel begot Lamech. So, in the beginning, right? So in the beginning, God had a son named Irad. His name means fleet or runner. And basically, fleet or runner had a son, Mahuyel, okay? Which actually means smitten by God. So fleet and runner had a son, and then they had a son, Methesuel, who is, who is of God. So here's what I find interesting. These names here, they all have God in them, right? They're, they're like, well, except Irad. Irad was just a, he's probably just a fast runner, but these two were smitten by God and one who is like God. And then this guy had a son, and then he named his son Lamech. If you're taking note, Lamech means powerful, powerful. Okay? So the descendants of Cain, what do they do? They're advancing their new civilization. Look at verse 19. Then Lamech took for themselves two wives. The name of one was Adah, and the other was Zillah. And Adah bore Jebel, and he was the father of those who dwelled in tents and have livestock. His brother was Jubal, and he was the father of all those who played the harp and flute. As for Zillah, she bore Tubal Cain, an instructor of every craftsman's in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Namah. Namah, her name means loveliness. So let's go back. Let's, let's, let's kind of break this down. Here's what I want you to see. First and foremost, what does it say? It says that he had these guys, right? And we're going to find out what they do. But now Lamech does what? Lamech took two wives. Two wives, okay? Now this is the first recorded bigamy in the Bible, that Lamech took two wives. Why? Because God had commanded them right? Monogamy, one wife. He told him in Genesis 2.24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. He didn't say wives, but Lamech's going, I don't, I don't care what the word of God says. I want two wives. I want two. I want two. And we see that's happening. Now, if you're taking note, Lamech's first wife, Adah, her name means pleasure. Pleasure. 
And his second wife, Zillah, means shade. You say, so he wants to either hang out with some pleasure or he wants to be in the shade. I don't know. One of those things. But that's what their names mean. Okay, pleasure. Pleasure and shade. But this really is an ungodly line of Cain. But here's what I want you to note, guys. I want you to see this. If we were to evaluate this from a human point of view, Cain's descendants, they're, they're what? Admirable. You know, what do you mean, Ben? Well, think about Jubal, right? His name means wanderer, but he founded the first science in agriculture. He's out there in verse 20. Notice what it says in verse 20, guys. It says that, that he was the father of those who dwelled in tents and livestock. He was, he was doing well. And then Jubal, which means sound, which I think is pretty cool, he, he actually founded culture and music, right? So it's just, it's just so cool that, I mean, looking out, and of course, Tubal Cain, he founded the metal industries. I mean, this is from the outside looking in. It's like these guys did really, really well. And if you were to look at, at, at the city, Cain City was a great success. But God made it clear that he had rejected the whole thing. He had rejected the whole thing. Now note the heart of Lamech, verse 23 again. Lamech says to his wives, Adah, pleasure, and Zillah, right, uh, shade. He says, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech shall, Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Now if you're taking notes, guys, Here's what I would write down. This is actually the first recorded, in the, in the Hebrew structure, this is actually the first recorded poem slash song in history. It's actually a poem. But the problem with this is that it reeks of rebellion towards God. You go, what do you mean? Lamech actually seemed like he was attacked by someone and he actually, in self-defense, he killed him. He killed him. And so he writes a song, but I want you to note the lyrics, okay? I want you to note the lyrics. You go, what are they? Well, first and foremost, he, he, he goes against God's word by what? By addressing his two wives. It's not monogamy. He's going, hey, let me tell you my two wives. So that goes against God's word. And you go, well, how else is it rebellion? Well, the song goes against God's word because it's pride. He says, I killed the man who tried attacking me, even a young man for hurting me. And of course, it goes against God's word because it talks about violence. Violence. So think about it again. Notice what he says. Listen up, my wives. Right? Listen. Lamech, right? I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain be avenged sevenfold, then I shall be avenged seventy-sevenfold. Here's my question. Here's my question to Lamech, right? If I was talking to him. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Only God can promise and protect this type of retribution. Only God can. Why? Because notice what Cain says in verse 24. If Cain be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. You go, guys, what is he doing? Lamech is boasting that if anyone should try to avenge the murder, listen, that he would take care of it himself seventy-sevenfold without any help from God such as Cain received. Do you see the boasting? Do you see the pride? He's like, hey, listen, if anybody's going to try to murder me, not only, I mean, Cain was... But God had did that, and he's looking at himself going, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. I'll do it. God never promised Lamech that, but that's what, that's what he does. That's what he does. Now, on the other side of the farm, 
so to speak, we see a different culture. Look at verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. How old was Adam at this time, guys? 130. Okay, that's when Seth came. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom came killed. As for Seth, to him also a son was born, and named and, and he named him Enosh. And then, it says, then the men began to call on the name of the Lord. Guys, the Hebrew name for Seth derives from the verb that means to put or to place or to set. This suddenly relates the idea that the birth of Seth sort of compensates for the loss of Abel. That's what it kind of means. And, 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 the, and when not a proper name like Seth, the Hebrew noun Sheth may be translated foundation. To be set forth, it's the foundation is what he's saying. And since the foundation itself is set or put in place, that's what he's saying. This is what we're going to name Seth. Well, Seth has a son named Enosh. And of course, we'll look at genealogy next week. But let's close our study tonight, guys, with that last phrase. What was that? It says, then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Before you put your Bibles away, listen. This can have two meanings. This can have two meanings. You go, what do you mean? To call upon the name of the Lord by addressing him by his proper name, or it can mean that they begin to call him by other names. In other words, you can put right down, this could be prayer. God, we're calling out to you. We're calling out to you. We're crying out to you. We're praying. That's what it can mean. Okay? Seth names his boy, guess what? Enosh. What does Enosh mean? Frail and weak. And it's almost like he goes, listen, Listen, here's my boy, and I'm going to name him weak because I know that mankind is weak without God and we need to call upon God. That's what he's saying. He's saying, call upon the Lord. Ask Him for that strength. Be careful with the pride of Lamech. Be careful with the pride of Lamech. Call upon the Lord. The other meaning could be, listen, this means that they could, he has... His, his right name in a wrong manner. They're crying out to God, the right name in the wrong manner. In other words, calling out to the Lord with the wrong motives or an impure heart. It could mean that too. James actually teaches us this in James chapter 4, verse 3. It says, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are wrong and you only want will give you pleasure. How many times, guys, do we, in the name of Jesus, call out to God with wrong motives and an impure heart? Oh, Lord, if I could only have, if I could only have. So we have to look at ourselves, guys. We have to look at our hearts. We have to cry out to the Lord with pure hearts. God, I am weak. I am broken. And I need your strength. The Bible tells us that you and I as believers today should pray without ceasing. We should continually be calling out to the Lord. We should be asking. We should be seeking. We should be knocking every day. Every day calling out to the Lord. Let's do that tonight. Father, we call out to You in Jesus' name and we thank You. We thank You for Your great love for us. We thank You, God, that You love us. 
We thank you for the countless opportunities to repent. Lord, we pray that our hearts are not hardened before you. And that, Lord, that you will break us, God, so that we can walk in humility of who you are. And Lord, we ask your blessed forgiveness. We call out to you tonight, God, for our brothers and sisters who are hurting physically. We call out to you to, for healing, Lord, in Jesus' name. We call out, Lord, with proper motives, God, so that you may be glorified in our lives. We pray to you, God, as we ask, as we seek, as we look for you like a precious jewel, Lord, that we won't stop looking until we find you, Lord. Lord, we call out to you in the, in the fear of the Lord. Lord, praying that we would never be out of your presence. That we would never take your grace for granted, God. That we wouldn't sit there and go, oh, God's going to, that's okay, I can do whatever I want, Lord. I can do it, I'm under God's grace. But we would love you so much, God, that we would honor you and we would have that holy fear, God, we call out to you. God, we call out to you in the good times as well as the bad times. We call out to you in our strengths as well as our weaknesses. We call out to you for you are God, you are Elohim, you are Yahweh, you are the God that created us. So Lord, tonight, that's our prayer. As we worship you now, we call out to you in song, we call out to you in prayer, we call out to you, our God. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.